So, just so you know. So last week, Nathan spoke about leaving a legacy, and he did a great job. That was awesome. So I wasn't in service, but I went this week and listened to it, and God is so, so cool. So the very first verse that Nathan referenced was Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, no, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's the cool part. The reason I didn't hear Nathan's sermon last week is because I was upstairs teaching the elementary age kids. So while Nathan's using that verse as his opening verse, this was our theme verse upstairs. That was not planned. We did not know that. I mean, God planned it. But I just think it's so cool. And in the same way, back in late December, when Justice was starting to try to make plans for this parental leave that he's on, and he asked a few of us if we would speak. And I prayed about it, and I, God kind of laid something on my heart, so I quickly scribbled down a couple of verse references and a theme, and I text messaged Justice a picture of it and said, here's, here's what I'm thinking. He said, well... He said, we might need to talk because my New Year's message sounds an awful lot like it. So we talked and we figured out that we did have some overlap, but we were going different directions with it. So we thought that's great. Then a couple weeks ago, Nathan walks up to me and says, I think we need to figure out what order we're going to preach in because we may have a little bit of similarities in ours too. Okay. So I got to thinking, man, everybody's taking my stuff. And what am I going to talk about now? But then I remembered, you know, God is a God of repetition. He repeats himself all the time. Jesus quoted the Old Testament as a means of repetition. And I, I find it funny because I think God does it because he realizes that we are hard-headed. If you're a parent, you know that parenting is probably about 95% repeating yourself and asking them why you have to repeat yourself. Why do I have to repeat myself all the time? You know this. So, I mean, repetition is how we learn. So I felt like God told me, just go ahead with your message. If there's overlap, it's intentional. So I think God might be trying to get us to corporately look in a certain direction. Um, so, so with that said, we're going to be talking about the power of story, more specifically the power of your story. Uh, my love for stories traces back to the fifth grade. It probably goes back farther than that because I was a very imaginative child. But I can remember the fifth grade somewhat vividly. I moved quite a bit as a, when I was young and went to several elementary schools, but I can picture this elementary school. And my classroom was on the corner right by the lunchroom. And down the hall was the computer lab. And I remember this school year because it was the first school year that every Friday we got to go to the computer lab. And I know anyone in here that was born after 1990 is going, a computer lab, why is that a big deal? Yo, we didn't have computers at home. We had floppy disks about this big to play Oregon Trail. That was a highlight of my week, it's Friday we get to go play Oregon Trail, right? I, I often in fifth grade died of dysentery. So I, that school year sticks out in my mind for that reason. It also sticks out in my mind for that reason because that school year, we were assigned as a class to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
This is the first book that, to my knowledge, captivated me. I still, to this day, get a little bit, you know, if you hear someone say things like, they say Aslan is on the move, I get excited. Or if they say things like, is he safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Like, I get a little flutter. Like, it excites me. It ignited in me a lifelong love of stories, especially stories about good conquering evil and about sacrifice and bravery. And I had no way of knowing then what a touchstone that would be in my journey to faith. I wasn't saved at that time in my life. I thought C.S. Lewis was a children's writer. I didn't know who he was. Now I count him among my favorite authors and one of my favorite theologians. So our brains are hardwired for stories, right? We love them. Not everybody's readers, but I guarantee you everybody in here gets some kind of stories in their life. TV, think about it, we have soap operas that have been on the air for like 40 years telling the exact same stories over and over again, and people still watch them. Podcasts, movies, we all seek out stories. Social media has become just one big story, right? We follow people's lives through social media posts. Now, it's a fictional story most of the time, but we still follow it. So we love stories, but most of all, we like stories from other people, I think, as a way to recount memories. And we seek them out in other people. You know, before the invention of things like the printing press and widespread distribution of books, and most definitely before the internet, one of the most prolific ways of histories and stories being passed down was verbally. We passed them down from gen generation to generation just through storytelling. I always, for some reason, picture Little House on the Prairie like they're sitting around doing their knitting by the fire while you know, they tell each other stories of their family history. Now, I know several people in here um, have been tracing their genealogies, tracing things um, doing their DNA test. So my brother decided recently to take a DNA test, which I thought was great because I didn't have to spend $100. He could do it, and I could just copy off of his. It was great. So we took a DNA test. Now, we knew some things about our family history. We know that we're very English. I don't know if the pale skin puts a tip off to that or anything, but we're very, very English on my mom's side of the family. My mom can trace a family member back to right after the founding of Jamestown in Virginia. We, we go way back. I was shocked though, nowhere on that readout did it say Texan. I don't know, I was, I was a little shocked by that, but we also found out that we have a good bit of Scandinavian in us. That in of itself wasn't super surprising. My brother has blonde hair, my dad has blonde hair, my oldest son has blonde hair. We, we have a Scandinavian little sliver of the family for sure. But the cool part is, my brother traced one part of this. He can it can be traced all the way back to Viking raids. I'm a Viking. I, the children's ministry side of me really wanted to like come out in full Viking regalia, but I, I I held myself in. But the point is here that if you guys see me wearing furs, with braided hair, wielding an axe, and raiding Justice's Coke Zero stash. Just mind your business, that's what Vikings do, okay? So it's human nature to want to know your story. It's human nature to want to know where you came from and what happened to get to where you are. The problem is, is that we often are more impressed and interested in other people's stories. Social media has made this, again, even more abundant, that we're more 
concerned with other people and their filtered life than we are with our own. But we have a story to tell. Everyone has stories to tell, and your story matters, and your story has purpose. So to start today, we're going to look in Deuteronomy 4. So while you guys are turning there, I'm going to give you a really bad paraphrase of what's happening at this point. Moses is getting ready to die, right? So Deuteronomy is the recording of Moses' final sermons or his final um, speeches to the Israelites. They're poised to go into the promised land. In chapters 1 through 3, Moses recounts Israel's past, their failures, all with the purpose of using their history as a teaching tool to trust God this time. You'll remember that the previous generation had failed. They had failed the faith test. They turned what was supposed to be an 11-day sojourn to the promised land into 40 years in the desert because they didn't have enough faith. And Moses wants them to get it right this time. So we're going to start in verse 1, Deuteronomy 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who... When they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, and the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. Let's pray over our time. God, I just ask that... From here on out, that it's only what you want said, God, that you would guard my mind, my heart, and my mouth. God, I'd ask that you would just open up anyone's heart that needs to be open to hear your word, God, and if that means a saving faith or just a, re, um, a fresh wind of you, God. I just ask that over everyone here and everyone watching online. God, I ask that you'd be with us in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, Moses is telling them, don't forget your story. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. He is even, I think, throughout Deuteronomy, he plays on their vanity. You are the chosen people. You are the ones that God rescued from slavery. You are my people. Take that seriously. He says, 
that the people will say, who are these people that they have such a great God? He's telling them not to forget that. You belong to God. Remember, lest you forget. So one of the great ways that we remember is by telling. Have you ever tried to memorize something? In fourth grade, we had to memorize some poems. I've never figured out why we had to. But the only way that I can remember things is by repeating them over and over and over and over and over. Writing them helps, but I have to say them out loud. Have you ever tried to memorize scripture? Have you ever tried to do it without saying it out loud? I can't even begin to figure out how you would do that. When we speak things out loud, it ingrains it in our hearts and in our minds. And it's easier to recall when we've spoken it out loud. It's like that muscle memory of your body. He says, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart, make them known. He wants them to remember their story. And we're a part of that story. We've been grafted into this story through Jesus. So our story matters. So storytelling is also a key teaching method that Jesus used, right? Because it's highly effective. So instead of simply telling people that they should love their neighbors, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And instead of merely stating that God is loving and forgiving, he told the parable of the prodigal son. So look, the Bible is not about us. I will never say that. This book is not about us. It's about God. It's about God's divine revelation to his people. It's about his character. And it's about his story among his people. It's not about us. But it is for us. So our lives are not scripture, but our lives point people to scripture. Our lives are, are meant to reflect and magnify the one that created everything. They're meant to reflect and magnify the only one worth magnifying. The stories of our spiritual mothers and fathers that are contained within Scripture are for our edification, our education, and to bolster our faith. We learn by reading about the times that they failed, and we learn, about reading the, we learn by reading the times that they got it right. And our stories can do that for other people. Many of you know that last February I was diagnosed with locally advanced cervical cancer. And while going through the initial stages of biopsies and consultations, I was given one piece of advice from my nurse practitioner before she passed me off to my oncologist. She said, don't Google, which is really good advice when you're dealing with something as scary as cancer. But if you know my personality, you know that I did not follow that advice. <laughs> Woo, not, a, not even a little bit. I am not a doomsday person. I'm not one of those people that goes to the worst case scenario automatically. Um, I'm not the type of person that gets a persistent runny nose, runs to WebMD, and thinks their brain is leaking. I'm just not that person. I'm a person that likes to and has to be informed. I need information. I'm a little bit of an information hoarder. I need to know what's going on, what there's possibilities of everything. So I set out to try to get all the information I could on cervical cancer. I found myself sometimes up at midnight reading clinical papers and having to Google the words from the clinical papers in order to know what they were talking about. But I needed to know everything I could before going into treatment. 
and I learned a lot. I learned a lot of statistical odds. I learned that can, you know, cancers caught at the stage at which mine was have really good statistics. I learned you know, different treatment regimens, different surgical regimens. I learned everything and when they would do, why would they would do. And I felt informed and I felt empowered to advocate for myself with my doctors. So once we found out that I was not a surgical candidate, that I would have to do chemo and radiation, I decided that I would look in Facebook, I would, I would join a couple of support groups in Facebook. Because I don't know anyone personally that's dealt with cervical cancer the way that I am dealing with it. So I thought this would be great. The only part is, is this is when I finally learned to be scared. These groups were overwhelmingly negative. They recounted their worst case scenarios that they found themselves in and that, you know, they were told they would be fine and they weren't and they had every side effect that you could have and that treatment didn't go right. And I, I kept trying to reconcile that in my head with the statistics that I knew to be true. Like, how can these women, it's so negative in here, but I know that that's not what this says that it's supposed to be. So I decided that once I started treatment that I would take a step back from those groups that I wanted to stay positive, that I didn't want to have that negativity in, in my brain going into treatment. So once treatment was over, I decided one day to pop back in. And I saw a woman who had asked a question, she was about to start treatment, and she asked a question about a specific um, part of cervical cancer treatment. And I won't, I won't get into what it is, but it's awful. It's the worst part of treatment. It was the part that I dreaded. It's the last part, and it's, it, it's awful. I won't sugarcoat it. It's really bad. But I got through it. The responses to this woman's question were appalling. They were horrifying. They were just, there was no hope being spread at all. So I decided to reach out to this woman through private message. Because though no one was showing hope in the group, I had some hope to share. I had been through this part of treatment. Now this part of treatment was described by my doctors as the knockout punch. All the chemo, all the radiation that you've been doing has been getting you ready for this part. And the brachytherapy knocks out the final cells. Your, your statistics say that you are way more likely to never have a recurrence if you do the brachytherapy as opposed to not doing the brachytherapy. So I told this woman all of this. I'm like, this is what my doctors have said. This has been my experience. I told her it's not fun. It's not good. But it's necessary. Take all the pain meds they'll give you. But do it. She told me that prior to me messaging her, she was extremely close to refusing this part of treatment. She was extremely close to telling her doctor she wanted to do chemo and radiation and wait and see. So what would have happened if I hadn't have followed the promptings to share my story? What if I hadn't have reached out to her? What if she hadn't have gone through that part of treatment? She was making a decision between life and death. What if I hadn't have shared? I'm happy to say that, like me, the last I heard, she's completely cancer-free. But our stories matter. It's, our stories matter. You can light the path for someone who's currently in the dark. 
And I find it interesting that especially online, but even in day-to-day -day life, negative stories are just shared in mass. I think 2020 might be just the best example ever for that. Everything's terrible. Everything's on fire. There's nothing good. Nothing is good. The U.S. is falling. The world is falling. We're all going to burn up. I mean, everything's terrible. That was the whole of last year. Those with positive stories just don't feel the need to share. And maybe it's because they have a positive story. But maybe if more of us shared our stories, even when we don't think it's significant, more hope and light could be spread. Since then, I've made it my mission to be very transparent and open about my cancer journey, and sometimes that borders on TMI, but cervical cancer is kind of a TMI cancer. Can't really sugarcoat that in any way. But if it helps one woman to say, you know, because you shared your story, I went and got that long overdue exam, or I, I, I chose to do this treatment, or you gave me some hope, then it's worth it for me to be vulnerable. We have got to learn to be vulnerable with our stories and to pass those along to other people. I didn't plan on saying this, but today is the last day of the month. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, so I'm talking to every single woman in here and every single person, watch, every single woman online. If you have not gotten an exam in the last two years, go home and schedule an exam. Okay? Great. But I find that most people don't share also because they don't think their story is big enough. They don't think it's big and flashy enough. But we don't live big, flashy lives for the most part. We need stories to help us in the everyday fights. We need fresh stories for fresh battles. People don't share because they say that their faith is private. No, that's not biblical. Your faith is personal. We have a personal God. We have a personal Savior. Your faith was never meant to be private. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Go. You've been sent out. That's not private. There's no such thing as private Christianity. So turn to John 4. You guys get another really bad paraphrase from me. This is a very familiar story. It's the woman at the well. So Jesus is headed to Galilee from Judea. He passes through Samaria, and he's tired. So this is a side note. I'm going to step over here because this is a side note. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I love that John put this detail in this story, that Jesus was wearied from his journey. Is anyone wearied from your journey? You get tired of just life. Jesus understands that. I love that detail. That's so encouraging to me that Jesus understood what it was like to be weary. So a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Jesus asks her for a drink. The woman asks him, why are you talking to me? Because a Jewish man at this time would not have been speaking to a Samaritan woman. If you know the story, Jesus ends up calling her out. He calls her out on her sins, calls her out on living with a man that isn't her husband, um, basically takes her to task over all of that. And then he reveals to her, to a Samaritan woman, that he's the Messiah that's been promised. So we're going to pick it up in verse 27 of John 4. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. 
But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. We're going to skip to verse 39. Many Samaritans from town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of, you, because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The, the woman's story brought them to Jesus. She went and told them, come see, come see this guy. He told me everything that I've ever done. Her story is what made them go to Jesus, and Jesus did the rest. When we tell our stories, people ask us things like, how did you make it through? Why are you so calm? And you can tell them, come, let me show you my Jesus. And Jesus takes over from there. So I know some of you are probably thinking, and I've heard people say this before. Man, I have a boring story. I have a really boring life. I've, I've never not known Jesus. I've, I was raised in church. I've never not known a life without Jesus. I've always known Jesus. Why would I tell that story? Can I tell you as a parent that that is the most encouraging testimony I can hear? I pray that over my kids. I've prayed that over my kids since they were born. I pray that there is never a day that they don't know Jesus. And I pray that one day they stand up before people and say, I've never not known a life with, without Jesus. I've always had Jesus because my parents knew Jesus and they showed him to me. That's encouraging. That is a story worth telling. You can encourage people with that. So here's a few key points that you can take with you today on reasons why your story matters and reasons why you can and why you should tell that story. Number one, your story reveals God. Telling your testimony of how you came to faith shows God's grace and mercy. Sharing how God works in your day-to-day -day life can show that we do not have some God that did some really cool things back in biblical times and then just went away. We don't have a dispassionate deity. He's not up there uninterested, scowling at us, just waiting to thump us over the heads. We have a God that is real and active today, and your story tells that. Number two, your story matters because people love to listen to stories. There are people that will never set, step foot in a church. There are people that are not going to go seeking. They're not going to go buy a Bible and read it but they will listen to your story. They will watch your life and see the way that your faith plays out in your experiences. This could lead them to want to know more about the God that you love and serve. Storytelling brings the facts about God to life in a personal way. Come, see Jesus. It's an invitation. Your story matters because you matter. You matter to God. 
He knows the number of hairs on your head. Some of y'all have more than others. I'm not calling anybody out. I love my kids so much. I love them more than anything else on this earth. I have no desire to count the number of hairs on their heads. Okay? That is a personal detail. You matter to God. Jesus sought out people individually right where they were, just like with the Samaritan woman. He did not have to travel through Samaria to get where he was going. That was, that was planned. That was ordained. He met with her where she was. Number four, your story matters because it's unique. No one else can share your story. You're the only one who can tell it and to tell what God has done for you. And you never know who you'll encourage by telling that. Not to make much of yourself, but to make much of God. Number five, speaking your story can bring healing. This is a hard one. Who in here has something in their past or in their life that they're not proud of? I mean, do you have a hard part that you don't like talking about. For me, mine is my divorce. I was married very young and got divorced very young. I got divorced about nine months after being saved. As a young Christian, that was very hard. I didn't understand how I was finally feeling like I was doing what I was supposed to do. I finally, like, Jesus, why would you let this happen now? Like, I don't understand. Thankfully, I had godly women and men around me who could speak into my story in order to help me heal and to move forward. Many times we need to, and within a safe context, not everybody needs to know all your business. I'm not saying that. But within a safe context, we need to share our stories that so other people can speak into them and help us, remember, help us know where we're thinking wrong. You know, Help us to kind of go, well, let's look at it this way. Let, let's look at scripture this way. Number six, speaking your story can bring healing to others. So once you've come out of those dark places into the light, once you've taken those things that you're not proud of or that have hurt you and you've laid them at Jesus' feet and not picked them back up, you can help others that are currently in the dark. I'm so thankful that I had those people in my life that could say, I've been where you are. It gets better. Let me show you. Let me show you where I was and where I am now. I thank God every day for those people. You can help others who are currently in the dark to heal by sharing your story. So the New Living Translation says in Psalm 107.2, I, I don't know how I stumbled across this. I study out of the ESV. I read out of the CSB. Somehow I stumbled across the New Living Translation, this verse, and it's just, I love it. Has the Lord redeemed you? Speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. So we don't tell our stories out of sentimentality but to remind us that the same God that worked in our past, that was there in the dark and brought us into the light, is the same God currently working in our present. He's currently working everything out. He's the same God. And it reminds us that he's already working it out in the future. 
We can share our stories to, to preserve and sustain the knowledge of God and pass it down to others. We fail when we forget. And we forget when we don't tell. We forget who we are and we forget whose we are. Has the Lord redeemed you? Speak out. In the remembering, we trace the mercy and grace of God and we point others to him. And we shout out to a hurting and lost world, look what my God has done. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, God, that we can just use our stories. We can use our stories to help others, God, and to bring them closer to you. God, I ask that you would give us boldness to share our stories and to be vulnerable with people. God, I would ask that you would let anyone in here that is currently wearing a facade of everything's fine, nothing's wrong, that they would just drop it, that this is a safe place and a safe context for them to do that, God. And I would ask that anyone in here that has a story to tell would be emboldened to speak out on your behalf, God, to make much of you, not to make much of us. God, I ask that you would just go with us throughout this week and, and let us think of ways that our story can bring healing to others and Maybe call to mind something that we need to deal with that we haven't dealt with, God, that part of our story that isn't quite healed, that maybe we need to bring that to somebody and say, listen to my story and let them speak into it. God, I ask all of this in your son's holy name. Amen.